Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to another episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell, and this is going to be our second episode in the Evolution versus Creation series, and today we're going to be talking about evolution. We're going to be talking about human origin today, but Ben, who was this podcast really for? First and foremost, Brian and I truly love everyone listening. We love all of you. We hope that you will truly listen through the entirety of this podcast. We ask that you would be open to listening to what we have to say before any kind of judgment, thought. Just take it in. Next, our email is m2boutdoors at gmail.com. If you have questions, if you want to share your thoughts or viewpoints, your opinions, Send it our way. We'd love to read it. We may even be able to bring that up in a podcast in the future. Share yes or no, why we believe, why we don't believe. We can kind of move that way. Yeah. What if somebody wants to come on the podcast and maybe make some opposing arguments or opposing points? We'd love to have that. We'd you know, love, yeah. Um, Who's this for today? We truly are talking directly to Christians that believe in evolution, that they either believe in evolution because that's what they've been told and they don't know anything else, or they truly believe in evolution through their search and study and they feel like they have these these facts. Yeah, or or maybe Christians who aren't quite sure what to believe on, on our origin yet. I know there's, there's people out there that are kind of like, ah, oh, or people that kind of toss back and forth, and that's kind of a dangerous place to be, so we want to help you get out of that place. Um, and into more of a, a place of security. So that's who that's really for. If you aren't a Christian and this is on your ears today, we ask that you keep listening. Um, maybe maybe there's something that we're going to miss that, that you can reach out to us um, and fill us in on, um, and we would greatly appreciate that because we do, we, we do appreciate both sides. There is so much to this topic. There is so much to the topic of evolution mm-hmm. that we can't hit it all. We can't hit it all in one podcast, and to be honest, it's it's kind of all over the place for it me. Is. It's, it's yeah. not linear, and it's hard to understand. There's a lot of different arguments, but we're going to try to really focus on what really matters, and that's human origin, because what you believe about your origin is so, so important. Um, we I believe it's important because it, it impacts your view, your perspective of everything else in life, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we want to... Really dig into to what we believe, why we believe it, and why truth matters. Correct. Correct. So um, let's kind of start by recapping, or, or do you want to really share share more about who this is for? You know, as a, as a growing up as a Christian, didn't know what I believed, didn't know my foundation, what I stood on. And even before I got in um, to teaching any kind of education in regards to adaptations or what some people would teach as evolution, I was working with atheists and it was really great um, to hear their viewpoints. You know, I'm actually really talking about when I was in the restaurant business, when I worked at restaurants, 
we got in some really awesome talks about atheism, about what they believe and why they believe it. And that's what opened my eyes to, oh, wow, they are sharing these points that, that I can't answer as a Christian. So what is truth? And if they're right, does that make me wrong? And that's where my search began years and years and years ago of, of having friends that were atheists that didn't want to believe in my Bible. And so those listening today, if you're agnostic, if you're atheist, we'll even call any kind of a skeptic, please keep listening. Tune in. We'd love to hear your feedback. Um, maybe you can start aligning and agree with what we are sharing today. But this truly is for the Christian that says, you know what? I don't know what's being shared. They're saying evolution is true. So as a Christian, maybe God used evolution and evolution is truth. And that's what we're here to talk about today to help Christians understand that you can't be on the fence. You are going to have to pick a side. Either you're believing in the creation account or evolution. You can't have both. Right. And and to kind of recap on uh, picking a side, there there is truth. You know, Christians and or non-Christians, we all live in the same world. We live on the same earth. We walk on the same ground. We see the same trees. We breathe the same air. We see the same sun. You know, what we interpret as as facts get interpreted differently. And because we have different lenses that we look through, meaning both our perception and perspective, because we, we are seeing through it differently. It's the same information that we may be getting from the ground. We may see through testing and research, but it really is how you are. Right. It's the same observations, different glasses. Correct. And that's really where we're at today. And we, Brian and I want to share our perspective through other men and women that have spent hours and hours and sometimes their whole life learning and sharing and, and right. teaching us what we know Yeah, today. so what you're kind of trying to say is when, when we find fossils, when we find bones, when we find rocks, like, it's all the same stuff. No matter what side you believe, it's how the information is interpreted. And that, that really is science. One scientist may interpret the same bone a different way that another scientist is going to interpret it. But at the end of the day, there is a truth. There yes. is a truth. And that's kind of what we talked about in our last episode, ways that we derive truth that may be aired. Um, and the reason I want to recap that is because you're going to see some of that as we go through today. Um, and one of those ways we recapped was what everybody believes. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about the example of H- Hippocrates, who was kind of the father of modern medicine, who, who had this idea that we had the, that it was the doctrine of humors. We had these four fluids in our body, and depending on um, the ratio of those fluids, dictated our health, our attitude, our, it dictated everything. And we know that that's nonsense today because of the knowledge we've gained through science. We know that that's all nonsense, but all the wealthy and educated people believe that at that time, right? I bring that up in saying that just because that's what everyone teaches or that's what everyone believes, that does not automatically constitute truth. However, when you have opposing arguments, there one of them is true somewhere. Uh, another one of those ways was hunches that work. So as you are given information and maybe a, a math problem was an example that we use, you can do a math problem wrong and still get the right answer. Well, you can make the hunch that your work was right, but if you do it again, you're going to get it wrong. So hunches that work can lead us to aired truth. You also have repeated observations. 
And just because we repeat the same observation over and over and over again, what happens when that observation changes? What happens when we observe the same object or same item again, but the observation changes? All of a sudden, now there's an error and it can't be truth. Even though it was right 1,000 times, the 1,001 time that the observation changed, now it can't be true. And that's what happens with science so many times because science is a gift from God that humans have the right to do. But science changes. As we gain more and more information, what we we may change what we thought we knew, um, and that makes it, it we were living in an aired truth. So we have to be careful what we believe, and that leads us back to where do we get our truths. And as we told you in the last episode, for us, it's the Bible. Mm-hmm. Front page to the back page and everything in between is truth. God himself was truth. Jesus was truth in human flesh, truth incarnate here standing before man on earth and will be again. So we have to be so careful because science is of God and science is given to us to gain knowledge and to study. But we have to be so careful in saying things like evolution, that it's science backed. It may not always be true. may not. Right. You know, the Bible itself is unchanging and has been unchanging for years and years. The information that you and I have, all these other books that we have today, are constantly changing. Right. Changing and changing and changing. Mm-hmm. That's hard to then keep up with. I think that that tires me out. Even if the creation account, if creation wasn't real, and we were going off of all the other books and, and information that we're receiving, I couldn't keep up. I can't keep up today. There, it's It's constantly changing that much. So it would be hard to believe in that because how how in the world can I keep up? Right. I don't know. Um, I also want to add before we get into this that once we're finished with this podcast, I hope that anyone listening that if you are in a disagreement with this information, then let this open your eyes to make your own observations because... Now that I know the information I know, there are so many TV commercials, um, man, like buzzwords, like people people just throwing these words out there like they're truth all the time. And it, a lot of what we are learning today has been normalized, whether it be truth or error, it's normalized. And we, we've taken it as this, this is truth. And so I hope that today's podcast opens your eyes just enough to where you can see what people are saying and sharing and make your own conclusion. Right. So, Ben, where I think we really need to start is looking at what is being taught. And the answer to that is evolution. And it's being taught at all levels. I'm talking their school. And we're going to really talk. I'm going to generalize here public schools because once you get into to private Christian schools and homeschool and all that, we, we don't have this generalized national curriculum or state curriculum that's being taught. So we're really talking about public schools. What is yeah. being taught at our public schools in America? And the answer is evolution. Mm-hmm. It was taught to you. It was taught to me. My earliest memory of it would be junior high. Um, I don't know. I, that's probably really because I can't remember elementary school. But I know for a fact that in junior high and high school and definitely in college, I mentioned in the last episode, to get my biology degree, I was forced. I had to take an evolution class. It right. wasn't an option. I had right. to take a full semester of evolution. It's being taught at every level. I don't know if most parents know that. My parents didn't know that. No, mine mine didn't. Don't it's When you say every level, I went to a, a Christian college. And there were aspects and 
and pieces of evolution that I was being taught. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that or know that. I do now. Right. So if if I didn't or don't, then how would my parents who have never went to college? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so why is it being taught? So what I found out is that this you can look this up. This is from the Los Angeles Times, and this is written by David G. Savage, S-A-V-A-G-E. And this was written on June 20th, 1987. Okay? I'm going to date myself. <laughs> I'd have been two years old. Okay. So this is taking place when, when I was two. How old were you, Brian? In 1987? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was a twinkle in my mama's eye. <laughs> That's right. So... This opened my eyes, too, because I'm realizing, like, this happened before me. Like, this is my mom's fault. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it says, the Supreme Court ruled that states may not require public schools to teach, in quotes, creation science, dealing a crushing blow to a once-growing movement in the South to put the biblical view of creation on equal standing with the theory of evolution in public education. It goes on to say that on a 7-2 vote, the justices said that a 1981 Louisiana law mandating creation science instruction violated the legal principle of separation of church and state. It goes on to, to really talk about, honestly, the evolution has better standing with science than, than creation and, and being, being a higher being. So I'll leave it at that, but after reading that, I'm realizing that that's why schools are no longer allowed to teach creation science, thus... Right. If you can't teach creation science, what do you teach? Right. There's only really two arguments for the origin of humans, evolution and and creation. So if you remove being able to teach creation from schools, they're still going to have to teach it, right? So it's in all of the science textbooks as human origin is evolution. That's what America is being taught, and that's so so disconnected from the Judeo-Christian values that our country was founded on. And then we wonder why 30, 40 years later now that our country's a mess. Well, mm-hmm. we're, we've disconnected completely from where we came from. And we're going to kind of try to show why we shouldn't be teaching evolution in school. Ben, there's, there's two types of science. And evolution is really rooted in one of them. Can you share the two types of science for us? We have observational science and you also have historical science. Correct. And observational science is basically we have it in front of us. We can observe it. We can interact with it and, and draw conclusions and test it. It's where the scientific method and experiments come into play. That's observational science because it is here. It is present with us. It's tangible. And then the opposite of that would be historical science, which is what? Whatever's happened in the past. We don't have it. Right. And that's all. That's what evolution is really based on, uh, except for the little bit of minute records that we have in fossils, but um, again, if you really dive into that, you're going to find a lot of gaps too. You know, the, the evolutionists will even admit if if the evolution theory is true, they they have a gap between three million and two million years ago, and they say that their fossil record between three million and two million years ago, they put it in a shoebox, and there's still enough room to fit a pair of shoes in the shoebox. Yeah, it's not a lot. It's not a lot, right? And that's because. <laughs> For me, I'm going to say, well, the world wasn't here then. So anyway, moving on to... Well, let me add, though, with science, the historical science side, I do feel like we need to add this. Yep. That it is an interpretation. It is an interpretation of evidence from the past 
that now exists in the present. Correct. And and so I want to clearly, because some people may say, well... Well, they yeah. both have their place. Right, they do. Yes. Correct. We use that today. I'm just saying that, that most of the science used in evolution is historical, not observational. Yes. Yeah, ben, so before we start talking about really the arguments that are being made for evolution, let's define exactly what evolution is. Evolution is such a big word. Um, where I had to start is I actually just searched online real quick and said, what is evolution? And it took me to um, scienceforkids.com, which was perfect, because I thought, you know, it needs to be able to be explained to a, a child. Mm-hmm. And so this is there. This is scienceforkids.com. And uh, this is their two-part definition. So they go on to say that evolution is the long-term changes that occur in the genetic level for better functioning and survival. They say that adaptations is the short-term change of organisms to to suit their environment or habitat. So Science for Kids also goes on to say that they say evolution is a theory, an idea with lots of evidence. It explains why animals and plants are so good at surviving in their environments the places where they live. So what catches me there is the lots of evidence. Because we've already said it's really the interpretation of the evidence that's there. So, um, you know, one of the biggest arguments that I see made, <laughs> and I was taught this and I believed it, and this was one of the kind of my my stumbling blocks when I was in, in undergrad was kind of like, man, if that's true, how can... I wasn't really questioning creation because I've always believed in creation, but it kind of made me think, well, I never believed that we came from apes, but this this um, claimed fact that was always taught, and I thought, man, I, I do believe in science, and I believe we can get this information. How can, how can this, this doesn't really lead to creation. This kind of really makes a good point for evolution, and that is you're going to hear it. I'm sure you've heard it. It is taught. Sometimes people are going to use the figure 98.4, 98.6, but really what's taught most is that humans and apes share 99% DNA relation, that we have 99% of the same DNA as them. And so as I go into this and see how this uh, was derived and where this came from, you start to see that the way these numbers were obtained it was faulty. It was honestly fraudulent. The way it was delivered was fraudulent. Information is left out. You have to be so careful there because people can collect data and then manipulate it. Again, math 2 plus 2 equals 4, but at the same time, logic does not always lead to truth because people cook the books all the time and make the math add up and look good, but they're really cheating. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what happened here. You know, Genetics has come a long way, and, and we can find all kinds of genetic um, markers to map genomes. And basically, the genome is the collection of all the all the DNA that makes up a species. And so when we map the human genome, there are 3.097 billion base pairs of DNA. And so really, if you're making saying that human and apes are the same, we need to compare our base pairs to their base pairs. So then the question is, well, how many base pairs are in the ape genome, and there are 3.321 billion base pairs in the ape genome, which is about, that's 4% bigger. Their genome is 4% bigger, so if their genome is larger than ours, how can ours be 99% similar to theirs when theirs is already more than that larger? It, it That doesn't make sense, so what you come to find out is 
they started pairing parts of the genome that are similar and excluding the ones that weren't. So when they get the 99% comparison, they actually excluded 25% of the human genome and 18% of the ape genome to get the 99%. So then what happens, I'm going to ask as a scientist, well, if we go ahead and include those parts that you excluded plus the 4% that their genome is larger, now how much like apes is human DNA? And the answer is kind of inconclusive, but they're going to say the max it could be is 84%. So if you include the entire ape genome, the entire human genome, exclude nothing, the most that our DNA can match to an ape is 84%. Do you know what else we match 84% or better to? A mammal? Pretty much every other mammal. Right. Mice, cows, pigs, all of those things. And it, so we can see we're not like them at all. Right. We're not like them. We're just as much like them as we are an ape. So you have to be careful because people can logically skew numbers. They can make it look logical, but it really isn't because they're manipulating the data. They're removing things. You know, you're and sharing that. It, I have some family members that have had some some pretty big surgeries on yeah. um, major organs in the oh, human body. Oh, heart surgeries. Heart surgery, yeah. yes, being one of them. Um, and I, th I think they have the option to choose, but it was either a, a cow valve or a pig valve. Mm -hmm. And I've always wondered, like, why do we use cow or pig and not, not ape? Right. If we're so much like apes, why right. aren't we using ape valves? Right. Our hearts. Yeah. So you got to be careful there with that that one because that is taught. That is in textbooks. That is written in textbooks. Right. But again, they're going to claim fact because of science, but that science is manipulated. And another another argument um, that evolution uses, uh, they call one of their facts, and you're going to see several of these is all the skeletons and bone pieces that they're finding. And they're saying that these are transitional forms. And what that means is that these are some of the forms between ape and man. And of course, you can't go straight from ape to man. So there has to be these forms of creature in between, right? If it's occurring over a long time, minute changes, which you just read in our definition of evolution, you've got to have, you're going to start an ape. And you see this diagram in every natural history museum in the world. You started an ape, and then you got just a little bit more human, then just a little bit more, then just a little bit more, and then you'll see that they go from quadrupedal or on all fours, and then eventually they're a standing Homo erectus human. And so they're saying that these skeleton fossils and these skeleton fragments that they're finding are, are these intermediate, these transitional pieces that prove evolution. But when you really start to examine what they found, how they found it, it kind of leads to more questions than it does answers for me. Um, and one of those is called Artie. Artie is for short. Um, I'll try to pronounce the whole name. It's Artipithecus ramidus. Um, and they call it Artie for short. And they're saying that it dates back 4.4 million years. The holes in this argument for me are, you start looking at what the scientists say who actually, uh, the archaeologists who actually recovered the bones, when asked about the state of the bones, they literally said they were turning to dust as we were touching them. They were in horrible, terrible shape. Well, how are we how are we dating them if they're falling to pieces? How are we reconstructing this this person or creature, whatever it is, if the bones are in terrible shape? And then did they find the whole skeleton? And the answer is no. Did they find it constructed? 
And the answer is no. They found it in this big swath of land, pieces scattered all over. So then I beg the question, well, how do we know it's even, how do we know it's all even from the same thing? How do we know it's from the same creature? We don't. And then so they start to say, we have proof because of the way that the lower back and the neck is structured in this animal that it was upright, that it was standing bipedal. And so this would have been one of those transitional forms because it wasn't walking on all fours. And so... (laughs) You look at the bones that they've collected from this dig and you ask the question, well, where are the vertebrae? Where are these bones, this lower lumbar that you're examining and looking at the way the neck attaches to the head? Because we can very clearly see through observational science now that the way the spine connects to a head on humans who stand on two feet and the way it connects to on apes who don't, who walk on their knuckles, is very different connects at different angles and different points on the skull and they're going to say well we actually don't have the vertebrae so where do you get it and it's literally digital recreations 11 different digital recreations that they get to derive where this shape of the spine came from and i'm like man we're just making this up we're making this up as we go and i i don't want to put my faith in any truth that is changing and fluid. Evolution just seems to be so fluid and changing all the time based on what we find. And we learned in the last episode, truth isn't fluid. Truth is solid. It doesn't change. So we have to be so careful of where we're just putting our beliefs. You know, kind of thinking about everything you're talking about, Brian, if man today found evidence for any of this stuff, I, I think we would all rally around and, and agree to it the thing is is that we're not right. and so if we're not why does it feel like we're making it up and and trying to force this like well because it's speculation it's you're just you're inferring the shape of something without actually having it there with you but is it okay because it's a hypothesis is that where we're, we're... Well, you can test the hypothesis well that's true yeah if you look at the scientific method and what it is, a hypothesis is a statement that you're making based on the information that you have, and then you test it to see if you are correct. And so, no, it would not be a hypothesis because there's no way to test it. And so, what uh, what are some other what are some other uh, arguments? I mean, you've been to some natural history museums, both on the creation side and and on the the evolution or, or secular side, as have I. Um, We've seen the books. We've read the books. Uh, there's movies. Uh, Not at the museum is one that, that comes to mind. Uh, what is what is the the skeleton that they've recreated and built? They've put skin. Sometimes you see it with fur. Sometimes you're not in eyes. It's, it's one of the most famous examples that they use of a transitional form for evolution. Do you know what that one is? The Lucy? Lucy. Oh, Lucy. They call it Lucy and been been being taught and learning about Lucy my whole life. And man, when you, <laughs> if you have some questions and you dive in to get them answered, it's going to give you an uneasy feeling because they're not good answers or there are no answers for a lot of the questions that come up. And, and one for me was, what was Lucy like? Was Lucy the size of a human? And they say, well, no, with, with what we've put together of the bone fragments that we found, it was about three and a half feet tall, and I'm like, okay, that's the same size as a chimp today. So it's the same size as a, a or an ape. Why, why are we saying that it was closer to a human? I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And then they're only finding 
all these bone fragments. We're not even finding whole bones. A large percentage of what we're finding is teeth. And then they, they reconstructed the skull. They only had 20% of the skull pieces. I shouldn't say had. We only have 20% of Lucy's skull pieces. So 80% of the skull that they built, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Where did it come from? It, it's literally just man created and, and, and man inferred. It's an assumption. And then they do have the ends of the wrists. And if you look at them, so the way that a bipedal human, the way that our wrists are put together and function is different than a quadrupedal chimpanzee that walks on their knuckles. And if you look at Lucy's, it's exactly like a chimp's. It's not like a human's at all. And the wrists are very distinct. And so I'm thinking, well, how did we jump? If it's still just like, how do we make this jump to humans? They have what's called the locking wrist. She has a locking wrist. We don't have that at all. So why are we saying that she was a transitional form? And they found no toes and feet at all. No toes and feet are found of her. Yet every depiction you see of her has toes and feet just like a human. Bipedal toes and feet, but they have no bone fragments of her toes and feet. They're literally just made up. They're digital creations. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't want to put my faith in anything that man has made or created. I really don't. I don't want to put my. I don't want to rest in any of those truths. Um, and then every depiction I see of her, she has. Sometimes she has fur. Sometimes she has skin. And then all of them have white eyes. Well, <laughs> we didn't find her eyes, so why are we just jumping to this conclusion? We just started making this this organism look human because we wanted some answer. Right. But if you start looking at the actual people that found her in the dig and all the facts around this, they're they're not supporting it either. They're they can't even rest in what they found because there are so many more questions than there are answers. You know, these transitional forms, Darwin. I'll say one of the most respected evolutionists, one of the most well-known, most people have heard of the name um, Darwin, Charles Darwin. In his book, Origin of the Species, he wrote, this is directly regarding transitional forms, why, if species have descended from another species by fine gradations, do we not ever wear see in numeral transitional forms? Why is not all nature in confusion instead of species being, as we see them, well-defined? As by this theory, innumerable transitional forms must have existed. Why do we not find them embedded in countless numbers on the crust of the earth? That is like the father of evolution asking the same question that I'm asking. If everything changed a little bit over time, why don't we see the transition? We don't find it anywhere. And anytime we do, it's things like Lucy or Artie that are more made up than they are fact. I don't want to put my trust in any of that. So why is that what is being taught to our kids? Why is that what's taught to us? Why is that the foundation of science in our country? Well, because we we clearly read that humans want to separate church and state. They want to separate God from people. Mm-hmm. And we see that happening even more and more today, even from 1987. Um, in fifth grade, my science teacher 
shared a lot of this stuff. I will say that um, some of the information that you're bringing, I didn't know because I don't know what year they, they found all that and began to, to share all that. So back in fifth grade, it was very simple. It was more about the Big Bang. You know, that was evolution. We talked about the Big Bang. Um, I think we even got into the, maybe it was the Cambrian explosion at that point. I'm not sure, but but evolution, you know, talking about the Big Bang that Everything came from this singularity, expanded in a moment's notice, like blowing up a balloon, and, and here we have, you know, what we have today, that concept. Um, you know, you, you have the debate, you have the arguments, the Christians saying, well, what came before the Big Bang? Evolutionists saying that we don't know yet. We're going to keep searching until we find what came before that. But they're at this this understanding that they're okay with the understanding of, of saying we don't know, so because they don't know, they, they honestly have to say that all of this came from nothing. Mm-hmm. So all this came from nothing because the moment that you put in that it came from something, now that would be intellectual being, you know, we call God. And so if you are looking through the lens that there is no God, no creator, no intellectual designer that all of this came from perhaps molecules. Everything that we have today came from molecules that no life created life, that these molecules slammed in, did whatever. Again, the Big Bang. If we have all that, and we're leaving God out of it, then they are going to have to fill in these holes with something. And that's what I feel we're doing today. And and as a Christian, that's where I'm, I'm really hoping that you open your eyes to this and saying, it isn't okay. Don't don't accept these holes as truth. Keep your eyes open. Listen to these men and women that are studying the information and draw your conclusion from the facts from all sides, from, from the creation account side and the evolutionist side. However, when we in our classrooms are saying that this is absolute truth and this is where it's all coming from, boy, that's hard to swallow. That's hard to to believe and put myself into. That's why I can't wait for us to really dig into the creation, the creation account, so that you and I can share what it is that that we see, and how it aligns with the truth of today, and, mm-hmm. and our observations of when you and I are outdoors, living and, and doing all these things in the outdoors, how we can see the creation account, how the the evolution just isn't adding up for us. It doesn't make sense, even though we were taught that. And it's at one point, Brian, you even shared with me that you believed it. That yeah. As a Christian, you were saying, I'm a Christian, and I believe in what evolution is teaching me. But yeah, I, I, I was in this stance of I, I could see how evolution was God's tool. Um, and let me tell you, I'm, I'm so far from that now. I fully believe in the creation account um, and that God cr- creates with age, meaning created a- adults and fully grown trees and plants and animals. Um, <laughs> I mean, when you read the Bible, you got to take it for what it says, and it said it created man from dust, and to dust we shall return. Uh, and I fully believe that. Mm-hmm. I absolutely do. You know, a, a more recent account that they're going to say is even a further on transitional form, but is an extinct species of archaic humans. They're going to call this Homo habilis. Um, and the the family, the the uh, paleontologist family, Richard and Mary Leakey, that really are the on the forefront of this, they're really considered the world's foremost paleontologists, um, they acknowledge some of the holes in this dig and what they found. And where they found Homo habilis, they also found 
um, what looks like human-created structure. They found stones, like a foundation to a building, in a circle. Inside that circle-sized building or hut, they only found 11 pieces of bone fragments, and outside of it was like 348. I'm going to get wrong on the example, but my point is they found a whole bunch of bone fragments and rock tools outside, like that you would make from napping, that you would take these quartzite pieces of stone and they would turn them into tools for taking the meat, taking the flesh off of animals. So they found all these tools and all these bones outside of the structure, but inside they only found a few small fragments, 11 fragments. And so it kind of showed that this was probably a hum that humans were there. They were present, they were building structures, and that they were probably butchering their food outside. And that maybe apes would have been part of that food. But what is even more telling about this, that this was probably not a transitional form, that Homo habilis was probably just another ape, is that the human-built structure was deeper in the dig than the skeleton pieces of Homo habilis. So it shows, you know, as we go through into our earth, whatever is older is deeper. That only that's that's a logic sense, right? I guess there are things as we've taught that logic can produce error and truth. So we're gonna say that is an assumption that could be wrong, but it was deeper. So probably this this structure was built in an earlier time than Homo habilis was found. Um, but like I said, the Leakies were the people that were really the, the forefront of the paleontology, of the dig, of Homo habilis. And I want to read you something that uh, Richard Leakey said in a PBS document documentary. This is his quote. If pressed down about man's ancestry, I would have to unequivocally say that all we have is a huge question mark. To date, there has been nothing found to truth truthfully purport as a transitional species to man, including Lucy. If further pressed, I would have to state that there is no evidence to suggest an abrupt, excuse me, an abrupt arrival of man rather than a gradual process of evolving. So he is even looking at the evidence that he is pulling in, which is more than anybody else, because he's the world's foremost paleontologist, and he's even leaning towards man. This probably did not happen over time. Like, humans just arrived here. He's not finding the evidence to support what he's teaching and what people are taking his findings and teaching. He's not even backing that up. I think that tells a lot. It does. Absolutely. You know, Darwin's finches. I was taught about this in college. I don't remember how long we stayed on this topic in college, but it was pretty lengthy that we learned about Darwin's finches in our evolution class, and by many today, Darwin's finches are considered some of the best evidence for evolution that is out there. And basically, Charles Darwin went to different islands in the Galapagos Islands, and what he observed was that different finches on these islands had different shape beaks. And so what he, the assumption that he made was that over time, natural selection chose the birds that were best fit to survive in those areas and that evolution over millions of years chose these birds to live on these islands because they were the ones that were fittest to survive. And I will admit, logically, that makes sense. 
but studies that have been done today show that that isn't true. Um, one that was done, they observed thousands of finches, and they observed finches that lived in rural areas and finches of the same species that lived in urban areas. And what they found was that depending on where these same species of finch lived, they had different shaped beaks, different depths and different thicknesses of their beaks because they had different food available to them. And they also tested and found that over just two generations, so two sets of babies, which for birds is just a couple of years, the beak size changed. So if you moved one, one bird from its environment to the opposite environment, its offspring changed beak because of what was available. So what they started testing was methyl markers in their DNA. And these methyl markers can actually dictate in what traits are expressed in the DNA. So these birds somehow knew, I'm not gonna say they're intellectual beings, but they knew that in their breeding, the methyl markers decided what DNA needed to be expressed. And I think that is perfect, perfect evidence of a divine creator, of, a, of a, an artist creating these animals capable of expressing the DNA that they need. Mm -hmm. But see, that happens quickly over just a generation or two, not 3.5 billion year, billion years. And so that really kind of throws out Darwin's idea. Plus, we have been here, we have thousands and thousands of years of clear historical record now, and we have never, ever, ever, ever documented, written, documented a change of kinds. Not one time. So why would we believe that time could change kinds? Ben, you could take an acorn and plant it 10 billion times, and you are never, ever, ever going to get anything except for an oak tree. Mm -hmm. Correct. You're only ever going to get an oak tree. We have over 300 species of domestic dogs in the world. They can all breed together. And do you know what you get every time? A dog. A dog. Mm -hmm. We have over 300 species of domesticated horses in the world. They can all breed together. And do you know what you get every single time? A horse. What? Surprise, yeah, right? We right. can't change kinds. Kinds right. don't change. And so this idea that, that billions of years can change kinds, it, it's really hard for me to even grasp and hold on to. Yeah. I mean, that's why a unicorn is a myth. Right. You can't have a flying horse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and when I stop and think about a, a lot of these examples, um, it breaks my heart because I want them to be right. Like, I, I if, if evolutionists are going to go out and spend, I mean, think about the billions, the trillions of dollars that we, we have spent on, on research and studying this information. I wish it was true for them because of, of, of how much hard work they've put into, like, right. trying to find this information out. And... But at the end of the day, like, I am not an expert in this field. Mm -hmm. But when I sit down and listen to these these brilliant men stand up and talk, it's their their argue their arguments a lot of times aren't logical, and and because the evidence that they're giving me isn't factual, why should I believe in it? Right. You know what I mean? Why should I? If they were, if they could, then then I would have to accept it as fact. Mm -hmm. But that isn't happening. And I think that's that's some, as a Christian, it is wrong to live in ignorance. And if you're like, you know what, it doesn't matter. That stuff doesn't really matter. 
it is impacting us. I mean, what is happening today in our culture, the, the changes, the, the what is truth, you know, our definitions of words are changing. Um, a lot of that is happening because we don't have a consistent foundation anymore that we're teaching in the public schools, in the colleges. These words, these things are changing constantly. There's just so much change in, in what we're saying is truth in the moment. Right. You know, I can't even keep up, and that that is hard. And there are so many other examples that we could give right now on this podcast. I mean, we could talk about thousands, not billions, in, in regards to there's an account that says that the current age estimate of Earth is 4.56 billion years old, you know, and they're going to use radioisotope and... Yeah, we need to address radiometric dating because okay, that, that's going to be... There, there's some tough, difficult questions that, that both sides have to answer, and so, so let's go ahead and address them. And, and radiometric dating is one of them. Carbon dating is another one. Um, but carbon dating is less accepted now because it's, it's more known that the actual half-life of carbon is a lot shorter than the dates that people are throwing out using carbon dating. So that one's not as accepted today, but radiometric dating is this one that people are falling on as a fail-safe of, no, we can get we can date rocks and, and artifacts back billions of years with radiometric dating based on the decay of these molecules. But I do think there are some important things to point out about radiometric dating, and then we'll let you guys make... Um, We'll let you make your decision on it or not. And my point that I want to make is that it's largely based on assumptions. Um, so it's based on the decay rate of elements, right? Mm-hmm. Of isotopes. Mm-hmm. But we only know how those, we can only observe how they're decaying today. The environment, especially if you're going <laughs> to, the evolution argument almost makes this more, more hard to believe because whether you're going to believe in a young earth that's 6,000 years old or an old earth that's 3.5 billion years old, the environment of the earth has changed over time. Even for the creation account, you you know, you had before the fall, which things were perfect. Then you had the fall and sin came in and now animals are hunting animals to eat and we're hunting animals and you've got thorns on bushes now. And then you've got the flood and then you've got post-flood. The environment changes. So the decay rate of elements is probably changing too but we can only observe what it is now we don't know what it was all these years ago so to say that it's the same we're making an assumption or an inference that the decay rate has always been the same if that assumption is wrong then radiometric dating is wrong and then we're also assuming starting amounts right so we know where things have decayed to now but we don't know where they started and so we're just assuming that they started at this point and we're going to age backwards off of that. But we don't actually know where they started because we weren't there. It's historical. We're making up a historical number of where they started. It is just an assumption of these rates. We only know what the point that they've decayed to. So it's like saying, um, what I can't even remember the name of the main, the name, the main isotope that they use, but let's say that it started at 260 and today it's at 208 and they're going to say that it will take 2.5 billion years to decay to that. Well, how do we know that it was 260? We only have it at 208 today. How do we know 260 was a starting point? We don't. Um, it's, It's really an assumption. And so then the question would be, well, how could we verify radiometric dating? Is there a way 
to test it. Is there a way for observational science with experiments to test radiometric dating today? Um, and the best way to be would say, well, can we find rocks of known ages? And the answer is, well, well, yes, we still have active volcanoes. We can find rocks that we know have come out and formed from lava from these volcanoes. So in the 80s, they actually, there was uh, a volcano active here in the U.S., and they took some of those rocks that they knew were exactly 10 years old. They performed radiometric dating on them. They actually sent them off to have radiometric dating done on them. When they got them back, they were told that these rocks were two and a half million years old. But they knew they were only 10. So that leads me to believe that these assumptions made in radiometric dating may not be right. And so I'm not going to put any trust or any, in anything that could be wrong. Right. You know, the, the idea behind evolution is, is really that something very small of a different kind changed very minutely over a long, 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 long period of time and changed in, into a whole different kind. And, and the example we're really talking about here is that that humans changed from, first we had apes and then apes changed into humans, but yet we still have both kinds. So that's always been kind of confusing for me. But why I love science and why nature and creation for me, points to a divine creator is because there are some amazing, amazing things that happen in nature and happen in our bodies that really are pieces of, of, of work of art, and they all work together, and parts of them can't exist without without the other. And for me, that's an, an argument against evolution. And evolution, I've never heard anybody answer it. I've never heard an answer to the question of... Um, Basically, we have all-or-nothing systems in our bodies. Our hearing, our eyesight, the way our blood co coagulates, and the fact that in our body, our respiratory system and our circulatory system are completely dependent on each other. Mm -hmm. So our heart, our lungs, our liver, our kidneys, we have to have all of them working together. So did they all just happen at, the, at one time, or did we have... It's kind of a chicken or the egg question. What came first? Did we have a blood or did we have a heart? Well, well if the blood came first, what pumped it around our body? If right. If the heart came first, what did it pump? Why would the heart need blood if it never had blood before? Right. And why would there need to be blood if there was never a heart? Those things were are confusing. That that's what that's what when when my eyes were open to this in school of learning all this and listening to it, it was actually the cow example that that opened my eyes more than the human body first. You know studying why a cow has four stomachs and learning that ruminants, uh, they have to have the bacteria in their stomach to um, break down their food. You know, you have taught us a lot about deer and how deer have a hard time breaking down corn because of the bacteria, the time mm -hmm. of year, that how much corn they eat and how it's hard for them is, is anyway. Yeah, they're ruminants as well. Yeah. yeah, and so learning that a cow has four stomachs, a simple question that I had from my teacher was, well, why does a cow need four if it was able to live with one. Right. Now, I'm using logical reasoning because evolution teaches us that it would keep evolving and... And, and getting better. And getting and better and better yeah. and better. Well, a cow can't start off with four stomachs. It had to start off with one before it would needed four. Mm -hmm. So if it's four today, then how could it have lived with only one if it needed four to live today? That's where my question started. Multiple questions started piling up on top of that. Yep. And when I turned to evolution for, for my answers for truth, I wasn't getting them. 
I didn't get the answers. Yeah. And most of the time when someone would answer it, they would tell me, well, it just evolved that way. It, it just evolved. You know, it, it, that was a process. It went through it. And that's why it, it did it was to survive, mm-hmm. to live today. Man, I struggle with that answer. Yep. That isn't good enough because we do have science. We can study and learn and we can figure out why. Yeah. The human body is an absolute work of art. The way the way it heals, the way every we take in food and, and excrete waste, vision, sight, smell, and all these senses that work together, our brains, it is an absolute work of art. All the information that it takes, the fact that a human grows in in a mother's womb and then comes out and now, and then you have life. I mean, it is absolutely, honestly, it's it's a miracle. Mm-hmm. It's a miracle that we take for granted. Now, and I want to elaborate a little bit on this this idea that you know, really, evolution has taught us fact. It, it's in our textbooks. It's fact. You have to you have to learn about it to go through school. It's taught us fact in in all these classrooms. Yet. Evolution cannot answer basic life dependency questions. And what I want to paint a picture of is this this res- respiratory and circulatory system working together and, right. and how we have to have them. So our heart muscles, it has to have oxygenated blood. How do we get oxygen in our body? Our lungs. Our heart is dependent on our lungs. It has to have it. And our respiratory system, our lungs, it depends on blood moving around the body being circulated to deliver the oxygen where it needs to go. So our lungs depend on our heart. They're completely dependent on each other for life and to get rid of carbon dioxide as well. So what came first is my question. How how was any of it able to function properly without the other? And most people, the logical answer is going to be, well, it can't. Mm -hmm. No doctor today can figure out how to make one work without the other because none of them are smart as a divine creator and evolution can't answer those questions they, it, it can't and so why is it being taught that I just can't I can't get over why that is the default that's being taught I, and I know you shared the Supreme Court ruling and that really is the answer there's only two options and when you take one option in a way well we have to teach something you're gonna fill it with it's something. like the default yeah. evolution is where we've fallen by default yeah um, and what breaks my heart and makes me so sad is that I think it makes Satan happy and breaks God's heart mm-hmm you know, going through some of this this research and, and getting my brain back turned on to all of this. Honestly, at one point I was moved to tears at, at the thought of how much it breaks God's heart that, that evolution is what's predominant in our schools. Um, and I really think, I really think it just comes to, because this is what it was for me. I want to go in here and I'm going to get my degree. I don't even really care what, what they're being taught. I don't care that I have to take an evolution class. I'll take it. I'll study for the test. I'll pass the test so I can go on. Well, that becomes an indoctrination. Mm-hmm. People start to become indoctrinated because they're just okay with being taught that. Nobody's standing up and saying, no, I'm not going to learn this junk that you can't even prove. You're just going to tell me it's fact. And, and that's the, that has moved America away away from God. And millions and millions and millions of Christian parents are sending their kids to public school to be taught this, not saying that they shouldn't, but they should be teaching them the other side. Well, I think we should have both. We should have both in we schools. Have both. Yes. We should have both in schools. I, I would definitely agree with that that argument as well. You know, <laughs> evolution 
is only one word, but the reality of it is it's called evolution theory. Correct. So it is a theory. Yep. I think it's neat. Can't wait to teach more of it, but they call it the creation account because it happened. It's a creation account, not a creation theory, but evolutionists would say it's still a theory. And we're definitely going to share the creation account probably in our next episode. What really moves me and what I believe this morning, going through a lot of this information and, and honestly studying evolution, where I felt the Holy Spirit move my heart is this question. There is a glaring lack of evidence for evolution. I mean, you look at some of these transitional forms of humans that evolutionists are, are using and are the, the foundation of human origin theory for evolutionists, and they're 80% are more made up, and we've never found a composed body. All we've found is all these pieces, and then we've just put together how we want to put it together. Mm-hmm. There is a glaring lack of evidence So why do people resist creation? Why do so many people accept evolution? And what the Holy Spirit put on my heart is the answer is this. Because there is only one other option. When it comes to human origin, you either believe in evolution or you believe in creation. And if you believe in creation is true, then you are crediting the Bible. You are saying that the Bible is true. And if you're saying that the creation account is true, then you're saying that Jesus is credible because he's found throughout the Old Testament. He's found in the creation account. The Bible says he was there. His spirit was there. And so if Jesus is credible and he was true and he was here and he died on the cross and he rose from the death, that means that every single person is faced with hell. They're faced with judgment. And so if you believe, if you turn from evolution and believe in creation, you are now saying that I'm going to go to hell if I don't follow Jesus, accept that he died on the cross for me, and repent and change from my ways. And it is so hard for people to admit that they're wrong. You have to admit that you are at your core bad if Jesus is real. You have to admit that to follow him. And people don't want to turn from their ways. They don't want to turn from drunkenness. They don't want to turn from sex. They don't want to turn from addiction. They don't want to turn from all the bad. Because you know why? That stuff brings you moment of joy and happiness in this world. It does. Mm -hmm. And when you turn from it, you have to rely on Jesus. It's hard. He can take it from you, though. And I'm here to tell you that because I've had all of that present in my life and I don't have any of it in my in my life anymore because I asked God to transform my heart and he made me a new being. And, and that really is the root of where we're at. Why so many people don't want to deny evolution even though there's no evidence for it is because the only other option is to say that we have a divine creator and we have to answer to him and people don't want to have to answer to anybody because we love ourselves so daggum much. It's true. When when you're looking through the lens that there is no higher power, you have to fill it with something, and, and that's where evolution has truly come from, to, to fill the, the gap. Um, and that's sad. I think it takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe in creation. Both sides take faith. To be honest, I'm saying that ev- there's a lack of evidence for evolution. We can't We can't just prove as fact creation either right and that's that is i want to share that as well that even the creation account the things that we're searching for 
for fact and everything and truth and everything. Um, there is a truth in everything. However, we won't have all of the knowledge and everything that we're seeking and searching for. If we did, we would become God ourselves. Right. When If we were to ever become all-knowing, we would be God. Right. We can't have all understanding and all knowledge. There'll be things that we are... There'll be understanding that we're given when either we go to be to heaven or Jesus comes back, whatever comes first. Or through research and, and eye-opening and, and new advancements and, and everything that we're talking about. Science right. today is from God. We are we have cell phones, electricity, computers because of an intelligent designer. Yeah, everything we have. But I, I think you look at the complexities of, of humans and the way nature works. And I think that is your your best evidence. And while people are going to say, well, you can't give that fact, and I'm going to tell you, we we are humans are never going to have fact. We're never going to have fact of God, and we're never going to have proven fact of evolution while we are here on earth. And that is because faith would be nothing if we had fact. Then everybody would believe, and everybody wants to say, well... Jesus will make your life better. Well, he's sovereign and he can save you, but he's not going to promise you a better life here on earth. If he did, if that were true, if that were fact, then everybody would be following Jesus. If if the way to be rich and get rid of all sickness and all trouble in your life was to follow Jesus, everybody would be doing that. But they're not because that's not truth. So we have to be careful of that too, and, and because it's so easy for people who don't follow Jesus to look in, at our lives and say, well, their life isn't any better than mine. They may be living or doing things differently, but their life isn't any better than mine, so why would I do that? I'm going to keep doing these things that I like and that I enjoy, but that again, that's that, that love of self. We are so self-righteous and love ourselves so, so much that, that we, we, end up, we end up in hell. Millions of people are going to end up in hell because of love of self and not being willing to die to yourself daily, as Jesus called us to do. Growing up, seeing all kinds of commercials, especially the Geico, where we're talking about cavemen, um, I didn't realize that that was part of the teaching, that cavemen are a part of the evolutionary process. And I tried to, to say, well, you know what, what would a... And when we turn to the Bible, we look at men lived around 900 years, you know, these really old, old men. And I was always like, well, what would a 900-year-old man look like? You know, I'd always joke like he'd look like a caveman. But I, even the point of a caveman, like there is no such thing as a caveman. There right. never was, there isn't. We've never been goo goo gaga, worst fire, doo 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 fire, creating this wheel and, and this rock. I mean, as we turn to the Bible, we see that in the beginning there was already musical instruments like Mm-hmm. As as beings are hanging together, we we have these instruments. We we aren't just these non intelligent beings. So as you go through the day, people have and are looking through this lens of like at some point we were these dumb Neanderthals that didn't know anything, and and years later we've come out into these in, intelligent beings. It's so far from the truth, right? And because we look at it through different lenses. You're, and you're interpreting that differently, your conclusions are going to be different, how you live your life is different, that is such a scary place to be, and that's why my call to Christians is, if you do not know what evolution is teaching, if you do not know what evolution is, 
I mean, Brian and I just scratched the surface. Yeah, there's so much. Oh my goodness. We can't. I, I can't even. I mean, from the human missing links, young Earth, old Earth, dinosaurs, evidence, not evidence. I mean, there is so much. Brian's going to wrap up here, but all I'm saying to you is, is a Christian that is wrapped up in evolution. Be careful. You better know what they're what they're teaching today, and if what they're teaching, you can get behind and support. Um, please reach out to me and let me know how a Christian can support this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we kind of touched on this at the beginning, but I want to reiterate it here at the end to wrap up. And it, it's this really isn't a battle over sorting out different sets of evidence or who evidence is, whose evidence is right. Who interpreted it correctly well, or that, not correctly. That's the thing. This, this is really over a... We have the same evidence. So the battle is, whose interpretation are you going to trust? Who are you picking? Are you picking these evolutionists? Or are you picking these creationists? You, you, you need to pick a side because on the fence, what a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And please don't say that, um, you know, science is based on evolution because, you know... Our hospitals... It's an argument that's made a lot. Right. We have hospitals, uh, medical doctors. You know, honestly, I search out... I want to have Christian doctors and dentists. I would love to go to them. You don't always find them wherever you live and go. However, just because they don't believe in Christ does not mean that that science that they're teaching as truth isn't from God. Right. Because it is. That's why it's working. It's why we have the technology, the MRI machines... Um, matter of fact, there's a lot of Christian men and women that have created awesome, awesome technology and products for us to use today for our comfort, for our health, to help us delay our decay and death. But be careful on what you're believing as a Christian. Yeah. So here's the question for you. Are you going to start with an all-knowing God? Will you do that? Who's always been there, created everything, and the Bible says is literally capable of incapable, excuse me, of lying. God cannot lie. That's where I'm going to start. Or do you dare go down this this road with these fallible ideas about the past from sinful men? These ideas are from sinful men, just like you and I and everybody listen to this is, is a sinful person. They weren't there. Whether it was 6,000 years ago or 3.5 million billion years ago, they weren't there, and they're fallible, sinful men. Are you going to go down the road of in- their interpretation of evidence? That is a dangerous place to be, because even they themselves, I've read you examples today, Darwin, Leakey, they're all doubting what they're finding and what they're doubting themselves and what they're finding and what they're saying. I don't dare go down that road, and, and this is my message to you. You can believe in God, and you can believe that God's Word is true, is the truth, is the only truth, is rock solid. You can believe that. You are capable of doing that. And here is the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. The most beautiful thing I'll say to you all day. The choice is yours. You get to choose that. We're so thankful that you've listened to us share this today. I hope you've heard the passion on our hearts. Um, Very passionate about it because, again, the origin of humans matters because at the end of it we're all going to be faced with judgment and heaven and hell and if you believe that we weren't created then you don't believe you're going to be judged by the creator but your belief doesn't change reality 
and that is a reality for everybody. So I hope that you give uh, what we have taught here today, what we've discussed here today, some thought. We've given you a lot to think about. We hope that you're enjoying what we're doing here on the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We will be back on Thursday with another episode. Please follow us on our social media accounts. Please leave us a review on iTunes. We really need reviews and ratings on iTunes to help us move up the charts. That is going to be it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. As always, between now and our next episode, we hope that you find time to get outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.